0: Episode 90 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now.
1: Hi, my name is Mindy Lindheim and I'm a regional sales director and demo pilot for Textron Aviation.
0: What is going on, Aviation Nation? And welcome back to episode 90 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I'm your host. Today's episode is a big one. It is a, a fan favorite. I have been asked to get her on the podcast for so long and we finally made it happen. I might have told her to record earlier last year and totally forgot blew her off. So she forgave me, everyone else forgave me and she gave me a second chance. I'm talking with Mindy, also known as Shmindy on Instagram. If you don't follow her, you should go follow her now. She has an incredible job. She flies for Textron, she flies demo planes, she's a salesperson for them and she just has such a cool job where she pretty much flies barons, Bonanzas, 182s, 172s around just to have fun, go meet up and go sell some planes. So go ahead and check out her account and listen to this podcast to find out how she got the job she has now. Navy if you'd like today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can find us on our website, pilot2pilothq.com. We have all our social media links there. And we also have a link to Patreon. Speaking of Patreon, I want to give a huge shout out to the Patreon of the week. That is Bailey Davis. Bailey, thank you for supporting the podcast on Patreon. It has helped us create this podcast and now YouTube videos. That's right. I released my first YouTube video last week. I'm hoping to do them weekly, have them come out on Wednesdays, the day after the podcast. Uh, we'll see how that goes it's going to be a little bit rough going into it but we'll make it work we'll make it happen youtube videos are coming strong i released my first one on my 30th birthday that's right I turned 30 now i'm officially old very very old but anyways even nation i don't want to take up any more of your time i hope you enjoyed today's episode with mindy mindy what is going on welcome to the pilot to pilot podcast What's up? Not much. I'm glad we finally got this scheduled. You forgave me for totally blowing you off last year, which I totally don't remember, but I believe you and you actually had a receipt to prove that I was in the wrong. I so. had <laughs>
1: evidence.
0: You you <laughs> said that quick too. Like you were like sitting on that picture waiting for me to come back.
1: <laughs> yeah, well you've been on my tail about it. I was like I didn't I didn't blow you off. It was <laughs> the other way around.
0: Uh it's so funny. I mean, it's not funny. It's really sad. I apologize. <laughs> I'm glad that everyone voted yes in your story. So now here we are talking and you have the opportunity to tell your story. So I'm excited.
1: Awesome. I'm excited too.
0: Cool. So let's go ahead and start it off. First question I always ask everyone is why aviation? What was the original inspiration for you to get involved with aviation?
1: Um, well, I don't have a cool long story or anything. It was just very spontaneous. Um Growing up, I was always into adrenaline sports and taking a path that not a lot of other people do. So I got into aviation because I originally wanted to go to med school. I started two years of pre-med, and I was looking at how expensive med school was. So I looked at some military options because if you go in the military, they can pay for part or all of your med school. So I was looking at that, started reading about aerospace medicine, it was like, wow, how cool would that be to like take care of the pilots and there's certain medicines they can and can't take, like that'd be a really cool like specialty to get into aerospace medicine and started reading more and more about aviation. It was like, wow, like actually that'd be really cool to fly. So uh, I had a neighbor that's a Delta pilot. So I went to his house one day and just asked him how he got started, how you become a pilot, just just some basic questions. And he had told me about Embry-Riddle. So I went and visited. I was living in Orlando. That's where I was born and raised. So I visited the Daytona beach campus. And within like the next month, I was already enrolled and going to school at Embry-Riddle, it was just very spontaneous. Like, this is what <laughs> I want to do. Let's go do it.
0: That's a very quick turnaround from not having any want to be an aviation to enrolling in Embry-Riddle.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's typically my style. I like to just dive in head first and It just seemed like an awesome opportunity and was able to get in really quickly. So I just took full advantage of it.
0: What was it about like kind of doing your research and seeing aviation? Was there anything in particular? Like I know you said it just sounded cool, but was there anything in particular? I was like, wow, that's sweet. Like I could just fly like, cool.
1: That's kind of exactly it. There's nothing in particular to start reading about airplanes. Like how cool would that be to be a pilot? I don't know any pilots really except for that one neighbor. And I especially never met another girl pilot. Like how cool would that be? So um, just got into it very spontaneous and very lucky and happy that I actually liked it and Uh stuck with it. That'd be awkward. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) because my first flight and... Yeah, my first flight in a small airplane was my first flight lesson. So I was really banking on liking this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Please, God, let me like this. <laughs> yeah. What, um, so there's a lot of people, I feel like maybe not a lot, but there's some people in your situation where maybe they don't have a family member in aviation, all they have is that neighbor and they go up to them, they talk to them, they kind of get interested. What does someone with a family that's maybe not involved with aviation, how do they receive the news that like their their daughter, their son, their kid wants to become a pilot? Like were, were they shocked? Were they thrown off a little bit? Were they kind of hesitant? Like that's a lot of money. Are you sure you want to do this?
1: Uh, All of the above. My parents were surprised. My older sister, she's a doctor and she went through med school. So I was kind of tracing her footsteps. That's why I was in pre-med. And so when I told them after two years, I was already setting all this stuff up and I was like, Hey, by the way, I want to go be a pilot. (laughs) Like what? Like we were going to have two doctors in the family. Now you want to be a pilot.
0: (laughs) You're the black Uh, sheep. How dare you?
1: (laughs) No, they were super stoked about it though. My dad absolutely loves it. He's starting to get more and more in aviation every day and um, has expressed some interest in getting his pilot license one day. And, and my mom at first was more hesitant um, just because our family doesn't know anything about it. So she wasn't sure about the safety aspect and all that. But overall, they were both incredibly supportive. They've learned as much as they could from the outside looking in and it really helped me a lot to get through, get through all of that.
0: What was, uh, so your mom was kind of hesitant at first. Was there a moment for her where she realized that like she finally gave in? This is what you want to do. Did you like, take on a flight or was it just kind of over time you talked her into it?
1: It just took some time. She was never really against it, but I could tell she was hesitant, wasn't so sure. Um, She did think it was pretty cool as well, though. So there was that to kind of lean on. And I didn't take her flying with me for the first time until she backseated one of my instrument flights. So that's after I was flying for over a year. And I think after that, um, she was, she was fully on board.
0: Yeah. She's like, all right, she can do this. Good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's really cool. What was it about Embry-Riddle that made you want to go there?
1: Um, well, it was my first exposure to aviation. It was highly recommended from that neighbor of mine, um, which I really trusted with his guidance and mentorship. And, um, yeah, after I looked into it and kind of poked around online on the different schools and stuff, it just made sense for me, especially because it was in Florida. It was only an hour from where I grew up and I lived and it's actually a place where we had vacationed a lot when I was little. So a place that was familiar. And so it just kind of fit into my puzzle.
0: That's cool. We're, so I guess kind of clarifying again, you were on the pre-med track, right? Yeah. So were you in enrolled in another college already and then you had to leave to go to Embry Riddle or is this before you went to college?
1: Um, so I got a two-year degree at um, a state college called Valencia College in Orlando and so I completed those two years and got my associate's degree and then I applied to UCF and got into their pre-med, pre-med program and it was like, I want to say like two or three weeks before that program started is whenever I dropped out and went to Riddle.
0: Good thing you figured that out because after those two weeks, it'd be kind of late, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, the, the clock was ticking.
0: Yeah, that's really funny. Yeah, my wife's uh, in medical school right now, so I, I totally feel the the pre-med, med school track. It's uh, It's definitely interesting. <laughs>
1: definitely something i'm glad i got out of yeah
0: it's crazy (laughs) i mean i always thought being a pilot was hard and the studying was hard and the just amount of content you need to know but i was watching my wife study and what she has to do and the time commitment that she has to put in it's like oh my gosh you're like a superhuman there's no way i could do that and there's no way this compares to aviation at all
1: i couldn't agree more yeah
0: and yeah but It'll pay off one day. Maybe
1: <laughs> you yeah, would hope so. Yeah,
0: no. right? All right. So you are now at Embry-Riddle. You made that decision to go there via the guidance of your neighbor. What's it, what's your first overall kind of you're there? What's your experience like? What's kind of, what are you, what are you going through in your mind? What What are you going to telling yourself when you're going there?
1: Um, man, it was just so much fun to start flight school and just really get into it um the flight department there was awesome i got my private pilot license on campus and after i started to kind of figure out what was what in aviation since i was so new to it i just went the riddle way um but then once i started to figure things out um i decided to go off campus for the rest of my ratings and stuff because it was a lot cheaper it just was the best financial decision to do that and i stayed on campus for my degree of course And, um, but yeah, when I first got there, it was just a blast to see, especially to see all the students there that knew exactly what they wanted to do with their life, which is so different than any other college at my previous college, the kids around you, they don't even know what major they want, let alone what career they want. But at Embry-Riddle, it's, it's not even that the guy next to you says, I want to be an airline pilot. He says, I want to be a Delta captain, a Delta triple seven captain, like the goals are so specific of the kids that go there. And I have a lot of respect for everyone that goes there. And that's why everyone seems to be pretty successful that comes out of there because they know exactly what they want to do. They do their work. They work hard. And, and get it done. So that was the coolest part about being at Every Yeah,
0: Absolutely. It's kind of funny you say that because I went to Ohio State, went to a big school. It's always, like you said, it's like a typical university. The first two years you ask someone what they want to do and maybe 20% are like, oh, I want to be a doctor. I want to be whatever, whatever, whatever. And then there's me and everyone else. It's like, I have no idea what I want to do. <laughs> it's like, I want to be a professional football player. But And then that doesn't work out. And then you're kind of sitting there just thinking about it. But a school like Embry-Riddle, which is so specific and it's like, all right, you're doing aviation. Now you just kind of figure out what you want to do in aviation. And then you have those people that are very, very much set on the goal, become an airline pilot. And then you can also be an engineer. And Embry-Riddle is just much, much more than aviation or not aviation, much, much more than just flying, which as I've been doing these interviews, I found that out more and more and it's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely a unique college.
0: What did you get your degree in at, at Embry Riddle?
1: My degree was in aeronautics.
0: Okay. What does that entail? Is that like just mainly flying or is that everything? Or is that other like science classes?
1: So they have aeronautical science, which means that you're also a part of their flight program. So that's what I started out in. And then once you drop out of their flight program, then it goes to just aeronautics and it's the same degree. It just means you didn't get all your ratings there. And it's, um, It's it's a ton of different courses about aviation stuff. So you take the pilot private or the private to pilot ground course and instrument ground course and all that stuff. And you take engine courses and just anything and everything about aviation.
0: Gotcha. But your flying is just done to other places. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um (laughs) I guess this is kinda interesting question. When you decided to, or when someone decides, because I'm guessing quite a bit of people probably make the same choice you did, they just realize it's really expensive. When you decide to go to a different flight school, are you kind of treated different from there on out? Or is it kind of just like welcome it and they, they're not really too worried about that?
1: Um, well, the flight department and like the college aviation where you take like your degree classes are nearly separate so nothing nothing changes really you just stop showing up to the flight department building and that's about it so your courses are exactly the same the professors don't have any idea anyways so it's it's very much separated it feels like so there was no change
0: that's good i don't know if you'd be like a black sheep and they're like stay away from her
1: <laughs> <laughs> no no i think I think there's quite a handful of students there that do that.
0: Yeah. I mean, you can't blame them. I mean, you look at every riddle and you see the prices and it's like, oh, I could do this for like a third the price over at uh, the random flight school in the field.
1: Yeah. And when I started, everyone said every riddle is the best place to learn how to fly, which is probably true. But once I learned that, you know, there's nothing on your private pilot license or anything that says you went to Riddle, it's like, oh, what the heck? <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> I can go get the same card anywhere else for half the price. So not to dig at every riddle, if you can afford it or have financial aid to get through it, it's an amazing flight school. And and the structure of how I am a pilot today was definitely based off what I learned at every riddle, but, it would just made sense for me to go off campus.
0: What did you, what were the kind of the decisions that you had to make to choose the next flight school? Was there certain things? Was it price? Was it type of plane you could fly? Was it the type of instructors you could access? What was going through your mind when you're actually switching the flight schools?
1: So I had been thinking about switching, but wasn't fully committed. And I was working um, in our tutoring center and My professor that was supervising me came to me one day and said, Hey, there's another professor here that teaches in the English communications courses. He has a high school son and he's asking for someone to tutor his son. And I thought about you because he also owns his own airplane and he's a flight instructor. So he's willing to trade. (laughs) Yeah, he's willing to trade flight hours for you to tutor his son, like done. Yeah, you're like, up. excuse me, what? <laughs> yeah. So that's what I did. So that just solidified my decision. So I ended up doing that and doing some tutoring and trade of some flight hours.
0: Dude, that's crazy. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. It worked out really great.
0: Did he do the rest of your training or did you use him for your instrument or just a couple hours? What was the whole setup?
1: Uh, I bounced around. So for my instrument, I, I did with him in in completion, and then at the time you had to get your commercial license in a complex aircraft which he didn't have. And so I went to a different flight school in New Smyrna Beach and I'm always trying to finagle the financials. So I I applied for a job with them in their scheduling department and since I worked for them they gave me a pretty good discount on flight training there. <laughs> so flight training there got my commercial then I decided I wanted to get my CFI and um American Flyers has a women-specific scholarship or grant, if you will, um, to get your CFI and double-I, so I applied for that and got it, and so then I went down to Pompano Beach and got my CFI and double-I.
0: Dang, so that's pretty cool. I mean, like you you hear about how expensive flying is, and obviously it's still expensive even with everything that you had, the scholarships and the discount, but you kind of did everything you could to find to see how cheap you can make it and how much cheaper you could get it to go. And you even went to the (laughs) the extent of actually getting a job at the place to go work there to go fly. I mean, that's pretty cool.
1: Oh yeah. Anything I had to do to kind of finagle discounts and stuff. And part of my commercial was done at that flight school I worked at. And part of it I did with a friend of mine and um, so that, that was obviously way cheaper than going through a flight school as well. Um, we just rented a plane from a different flight school and used him. So whatever I could get my hands on that I could get some discounts or some scholarships, whatever it was, that's, that's what I went after. That's
0: funny. Did you find it difficult bouncing between different flight instructors and having different opinions or did you like having more opinions kind of telling you what you're doing good, what you're doing bad?
1: No, I loved the different air that I was learning in because, you know, up in Daytona, even Daytona to New Smyrna to New Smyrna was different, and then New Smyrna down to Pompano Beach was way different. So it was cool learning different airspaces. I found it extremely valuable to fly with different flight instructors, um, different aircraft at all these different schools and. You know different levels of how nice they were and things to look for on older aircraft versus newer ones. So I think the experience of bouncing around was really valuable.
0: Yeah, one thing you have bouncing around when you're going to different airspaces, I did my private pilot at Ohio State and I just was there the whole time, just flew out of Ohio State. I was actually terrified to go anywhere else. I was terrified. I remember they did a cross country in your commercial ratings or you went to Fort Wayne, Indiana and it's like a tiny Charlie airspace and I would be like terrified even thinking about (laughs) it. (laughs) And now you go there and it's like a really quiet airport where there's not much traffic at all maybe except for like net jets and some Some regional airlines, but still with you bouncing around though, you're kind of forced and you were exposed into these situations to, to learn how to talk to new towers, to learn how new procedures, because everything's different at different airports. Like at Ohio state, they'd be like, Oh, you see 270 in the water towers, like turn right there. It's like down in Florida. They're probably like, Oh, you see that pier? Yeah. Turn left there. But if you're not familiar with that, then you have no idea without having that experience. So it's actually really valuable to, to fly in different places and to go to different places as well.
1: I think so. And you get so almost complacent in your own airspace and like when you're coming into Daytona you know whenever you're right outside the ring you're going to contact xyz you know frequency and you know exact you know it all by heart but um, that's not practical once you get a flying job you're flying in places you don't know all the time so how do you find that frequency that you need to contact you know and and how do you navigate? How do you make sure you're not busting airspace? Because you just start to memorize it whenever you start to fly in the same airplay, airspace
0: all the time. Absolutely. And now you have four flights, so you don't have to worry about busting airspace as much. Yeah, that's four
1: flights. <laughs>
0: or your crazy little Garmin setup you got in whatever plane you're flying for text drive.
1: Yes, the G1000 yeah. is my rock.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. What was, uh, talking about you being a scheduler at a flight school, how was it? kind of balancing having a job in flight training that make it more difficult or do you think it was just better because you're totally immersed in aviation
1: um at the time i was i was also going to riddle for some of that period of time i was finishing up my degree and starting a different one and so i was doing school and working and flying and that was just the nature of college right you just get so used to doing everything all at once
0: yeah yeah pretty much i mean it's just like you got time you got to figure out figure out what you want to do and go do it get it done
1: yeah. I was talking to someone the other day, like looking back on college, it's like everyone is such robots. How did we not sleep and barely eat and stay up till four o'clock in the morning studying or working or playing or whatever? And it's just like, how did we do that? Yeah.
0: <laughs> No, 100%. And it's, it's really funny to just think about how having too much time in your hands is almost really bad, especially when you're coming out of high school where you're kind of like your parents tell you what you do, but then you're finally in college and you can spread your wings, you can do whatever you want, and you find yourself with too much time. You can always be like, oh, well, I can push that off till later. But the more you're involved, the more things that you're doing, the more things you have going on, it kind of gives you a guide throughout your day. But like, well, if I have this done, I have to make sure I have to do this by that time. And you're kind of forced to get all your work done and forced to study and forced to do everything you need to do.
1: So true. I think busier is always better.
0: Absolutely. So what was your overall kind of favorite flight rating to get? What is it? Your private, your first one? Was it instrument, commercial, CFI, MEI, whatever rating? What was your favorite one?
1: Um, My favorite one to get was probably my instrument. Just going through that with that mentor of mine, that flight instructor I had who I hold dear to my heart is... Just such a good experience to look back on. And instrument rating is so rewarding to get. It's one of the harder check rides, as as you know. So to, to get that done is just awesome.
0: Yeah, it was a tough check ride. It's the only check ride I've ever failed. So <laughs> it's definitely not an easy check ride.
1: No, it's not. Yeah.
0: What um what would you say is so different about it? Like I always tell people it's like almost a different language. Like when you go from VFR to IFR, there's just so many things that you don't know and need to understand. What would you say makes it so much different, more difficult?
1: It is there's it's much more, you know, black and white than VFR flying. You know, you're at this altitude at this heading for this amount of time and me personally like that fits my personality type. I'm very analytical like that, so I really enjoyed instrument. It wasn't, you know, oh, put in enough bank to where you keep seeing that tree in your field of sight. Well, how much bank? I don't know. It could be 30, it could be 60. I don't I don't know. Just make sure that keeps happening. So I didn't really like that as much. I do. I appreciate all that much more now. The fun flying, but during training, I, I like things to be black and white. Like this is exactly what you need to do. These are the steps you need to do to shoot the ILS or whatever it may be. So that that's what I enjoyed.
0: Yeah, I would 100% agree. Uh, I never even really thought about that before, but it is kind of nice to have those set in stone rules to know what your limitations are, where you need to go, how you need to go, and what you need to do to get this IFR flight done. And it's really funny doing steep turns. Like how much more bank? Just feel it. It's like, I don't know how to feel it. It's my third flight. Like what what else do I do?
1: (laughs) Exactly. That's how I felt lost without like instructions almost.
0: Yeah. It's like, you'll figure it out. It's like, just tell me. (laughs) Yeah. Was there a moment where your instrument rating and your studying just kind of clicked? Because for me, it was more of like an aha moment. Like one day I was just struggling, 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 took a day off, went to go fly and then boom, like all of a sudden everything just made sense. Was it kind of similar for you?
1: Absolutely. Do you remember
0: what it was that made it click?
1: No, I think it was just time. Like we, we would do this specific profile for my training. Every single time we'd We'd go out, we'd do this hold, we'd shoot this approach, blah, 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 and I had no idea what was going on. And then one day, it just all made sense, and forever it has made sense. So I don't know what it was, but there is definitely an aha moment.
0: All of a sudden, you're sitting there like, oh my gosh, I get it. I understand.
1: Yes, <laughs> yes like, I felt so stupid before. Like, it, we're literally just, you know, making a racetrack, like, and I've seen it on the whiteboard so many times. And when you're doing it, it still doesn't make sense. Then one day it's like, oh, this is so much easier than I was trying to make it out to be.
0: Absolutely, and that's kind of what it is. Sometimes you're putting too much pressure on yourself. You're making it so much harder than it actually needs to be. And it could also be the fact that maybe like, I know not in your aspect, this probably isn't true, but for some people, for me specifically, my flight instructor and I, he just didn't explain it the way I needed to be explained. So I went out to outside sources. I went to YouTube and I tried to figure out from all the other free content on there, what I needed to do. And with my flight instructor and those sources, it all just clicked. And it was like, bang. And I was like, dang, I know what I'm doing now. Sweet.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that's a good point. Not just learning from just your instructor, no matter how good they are. There's so many resources nowadays, like outside of the books like you said YouTube I think I want to say it's North Dakota that has some awesome YouTube videos for training have you seen those
0: no I haven't I was gonna say shout out North Dakota
1: (laughs) I'm pretty sure it was them it was either them or Purdue I get them mixed up but I think it was North Dakota and they have these awesome YouTube videos and they're very short and it's just like deep turns and it has a little cartoonish little airplane and it shows you exactly how to do them and the steps to take. And I remember seeing those videos and they were super good.
0: Yeah. I remember for me, it was holding and I looked up an M zero a video and I just was like, I finally got it. It's like, this is what I need to do. And I learned it. And now you have, chris palmer thing of attack you have jason with the finer points you have so many cfis and so many people that are creating free content online or even paid for content there's nothing wrong with going to your flight school and also paying whatever it is a month or buying another secondary service for you to figure out what you need to do because you're only going to learn this stuff one time and you need to learn it the best of your ability so i definitely highly recommend any kind of other service that you can get or free service to help you along with your training for sure yeah so what was uh, so now? Your training, like you said, you went to the schedule, You were a scheduler. You worked at your flight school. You got your MEI. What was kind of your goal once you got all your ratings? Were you like, all right, I need a time build. I need to go to the airlines as fast as possible, or you're trying to find every other avenue to build your time and to uh, do it you- to mark to make your way in aviation.
1: My my goal was corporate. I've never never really had my eyes set on the airlines when I first started. I kind of thought that was the only option. and definitely definitely going to Emory Riddle too. That's their specialty, so that's kind of what you're exposed to. So as I spent more time at Embry Whittle and looking at pilot jobs and stuff, I started to look at military options. That seemed pretty cool, and there's Air Med and firefighting and all these other other pilot jobs that weren't the airlines, and so that got me really intrigued and. So I looked at some different corporate, uh, aviation stuff and there's one corporate class, at least when I went at Emory Riddle. So I took that course and it was a lady professor who worked all her career in corporate aviation. And the whole class was just exposing you to different corporate flight departments and how you should get into them and all that type of stuff. So that really opened my eyes to wanting to be a corporate pilot. Um, so I got my CFI and double I, uh, kind of because I thought I had to. I didn't really know how else you were supposed to time build. I'm really happy I have it now, but I didn't use it very long. Um, uh, so I got that because I knew I'd have to get hours. That was just you know the easiest way to do it. And I do like to teach, so it kind of all worked out for a little bit. But um, yeah, I I didn't ever want to go to the airlines. And I wanted to go corporate, but I wasn't set on anything in particular. I was very open-minded.
0: Was there anything specific you didn't like about the airlines?
1: Um, I don't know. It's, I think it's just that style of flying. My personality just doesn't really fit in the airline world. I don't think, um, just the way that they train, the way that they operate, all that type of stuff. Um, just, just isn't my style. And I, I absolutely dread going through Hartsfield and those tight Chicago hair and all that, you know, as a passenger, and I just cannot imagine having to show up there for work all the time.
0: Right, and like you said, that's not your personality. It's not your style. It doesn't mean to say for someone listening to this, that's not like something that they want to do. That doesn't mean it's bad. Like there, that's why aviation's so great. There's so many different options for other people to do. It's like you can go corporate, you can work for Textron, you can you can teach a school at be Riddle and still be in aviation or be a flight instructor. It's just like there's so many things that you can do. So it's definitely. Really cool that you were able to see that, and you were able to go after it
1: yeah and and it's always tempting because airline job is such a great job, like not to bash airlines at all, it's just not my personality type and and even to this day, I know how much I would hate it, and it still is a tempting career choice, and people call me and want to talk me into it all the time, and I sit down and think about it, It's like you know. I know I would hate that. Like, I really like what I got going on. Yeah, here.
0: but I mean, if you're a Delta triple seven captain, you can be making like 400 grand working like two times a month. <laughs> I,
1: I guess it's just,
0: yeah, no, just I not know. for me. Yeah. yeah. I, I get told the same things. All my friends are like, wait, why are you doing corporate? Why aren't you at the airlines? It's like, I mean, I like what I'm doing, man. It's good. And they're, like, yeah, they just like, can't understand it because there's such a, in this the industry that we're in, there's like it's just so 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 airline biased and so airline focused. I feel like that you're not. A, I still feel like you're not a real pilot unless you're flying it for the airline. Sometimes
1: it's honestly frustrating.
0: Yeah, maybe we'll change it. We'll see, or we'll, we'll both end tr- up at we'll the airlines and fall to it.
1: <laughs> Whatever, more for us. <laughs> yeah, right.
0: There you go. That's funny. Um, what was so obviously you went you took that class. Uh, obviously, you realized you needed still to build your hours. So you became a flight instructor. How long did you flight instruct for?
1: Um, only, I don't know, maybe like four months.
0: Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Hardly any time. And, and the tricky part was, um, I took a year off of school to get all my ratings, like after I got my degree done. So I still stayed in at Daytona beach and that area is working for that flight school, getting all my ratings done, um, all that type of stuff. And then Embry-Riddle called and asked me to come back and get my master's that they were going to pay for it. And I could just take a job at Embry-Riddle. That was kind of the trade-off. And I was like, absolutely, I'll come back if you guys are going to pay for my master's. So I did that. And I went back to Riddle, and I was a full-time student, and I had to work for them. That was the payoff. And it was only part-time, though. It wasn't a lot. And so then I had my CFI and double-I, and no one would hire me. No one wanted a part-time flight instructor. And so that was very difficult. I got so frustrated because I know how much all these flight schools were hurting for flight instructors. And this was, I don't know, six years ago now. And, and they were hurting for flight instructors, but they wouldn't hire me part time. And I was willing to work whatever hours, whatever days that they wanted, just not when I was in school. And so they weren't about that. So I went back to that professor that taught me my instrument who had become a mentor of mine and told him like, I'm so frustrated. I worked so hard. I got here and now I can't even find a job because I decided to go back to school. And he's like, listen, let's just make our own flight school. So that's <laughs> what we did. So he had the airplanes. Up. Yes, he has airplanes and he had a couple students that he was teaching just kind of through word of mouth, but he was a professor for his full-time job. And so we just, Started this little flight school called Air Daytona. And it was out of Spruce Creek, which is a private flying neighborhood down there. Super fun community air park, hangar home style thing. And so I taught out of his hangar and he had a G1000 172. So that's what I was used to. I got my instrument in it and we started this little flight school. And it kind of became my niche to start teaching Embry-Riddle professors. I had all adult students. I had no, yeah, no no young, no young students, not because I didn't want it to, but it just started by word of mouth at Embry Riddle that we started this little thing out of Spruce Creek. And a lot of the professors that wanted to learn how to fly thought that was pretty cool and started coming to us. So we had a little niche. And then a couple months later, I got picked up by Textron. So that
0: is, is that, the flight school still around cool? or is it gone?
1: Uh, not by the name of Air Daytona or anything, but um, he still teaches out of the, that plane just nice. himself. That's yeah. cool.
0: How did you hook up with Textron? How did you make that happen?
1: So when I was doing my master's, part of that job that I had to do for them entailed putting together a symposium for a bunch of aircraft manufacturers and airliners. And when they all came in for this yearly event that Ember Riddle would host, they would talk about how we should be training pilots and different safety aspects we should be looking out for and just kind of getting everyone together. And all the aircraft manufacturers came like Textron. And so Textron and Piper and Cirrus, and they all came and they all flew in these brand new airplanes. They were on the ramp at embry And one day for a lunch during the symposium, we went out there and they had a static display of the planes. And so that's when it really caught my attention because I had met these guys that were working for the companies and talked a little bit about their jobs, but it wasn't too intriguing. But then when we were out there by the new airplanes and getting that new airplane smell. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I like (laughs) this.
1: Wait a second. (laughs) So you just flew this new airplane here to come to this meeting and what you just fly it back. And they're like, "Um, yes, that's what we do. Like we go to meetings and symposiums and we do demos and, you know, we sell airplanes, but we get to fly them too. I was like, okay, now we're talking.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sign me up.
1: Exactly. So got to talking to the guy at Textron and he was telling me all about his job. Like, this sounds incredible. And he told me that there was an opening coming up that they normally don't hire externally, but they don't really have anyone lined up for it. So it'd be a shot in the dark, but he was happy to put my resume through if I wanted to. And so I did. And Two weeks later, I was out in Wichita and I interviewed and I got the job. And so then the rest is history.
0: That's crazy. That's so cool. Yeah. What um What was the interview process like? Was it kind of a fly-in? Did they want to see your flying skills or just want to get to know you?
1: No. So for for sales, you don't even have to be a pilot. So being a pilot was just a plus, but not a requirement. And so it starts out with it started out with a quick phone interview with HR just to make sure you were legit and actually wanting to apply for this job. And then you get another phone interview with people actually in your department. And then they had some pre-work for us. So they sent, sent over some like situational stuff, um, some different situations that you would encounter when you're selling airplanes. And, you know, Joe Smith wants to, buy a new airplane he's got this many family members going here what would be the best how would you pitch it to them so there was some pre-work involved so you had to like make a presentation for them and stuff and then um once you get through all that stuff they invited me out to wichita and it was like a two-day interview process day and a half i guess um so it was a dinner with like our regional vice president and there was like maybe eight or nine people at the first dinner with just you that are interviewing and they just want to get to know you. And then the next day you kind of do some touring around some meeting people that would be in your department and stuff like that. And then, um, you do kind of a board style interview. I think it was me. And then on the other side, there was maybe five or six people that interviewed me like a board interview. Uh.
0: Yeah. Was that pretty intimidating? <laughs> Sitting there with yeah, like, for sit- sure. That, yeah, you're like, hi.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that was like my first big girl interview. So I didn't know what I was doing. Um, so luckily they had mercy on me.
0: Yeah, that's really funny. And then so after those two days, is that when you got the offer and you decided to join up?
1: Yeah, they sent me home with an offer and gave me something like two weeks, 10 days or two weeks to think about it. Um, and so brought it back and thought a lot about it and decided to take the job.
0: What So you said that for sales, you don't have to have a pilot license. You don't have to be a pilot. How, how is their job different then if they can't? So obviously, I'm guessing when you're selling a plane, you have the ability to go take them up and kind of show them what it can do. When it gets to that point in the sale, if you're not a pilot, do you pass them off to another pilot? Or how does that normally work?
1: Yeah. So you don't have to be a pilot. It's just coincidence, I guess, that all of our people on our sales team happen to be pilots, um, but not everyone are checked out to fly for Textron. Um, cause they have certain, you have to have be a commercial pilot and at least right now they want to have at least 500 hours to be able to fly the, the, te- the textron planes. And then there's a process to get to a point where you're checked out to be a demo pilot, which is different than just being able to fly our company planes. Um, so if you're not a pilot and you're in sales, we have a, de- a dedicated piston sales team that's based in Wichita. And um, whenever you're ready for a demo, you just work with our dispatch team and they'll dispatch a plane out with a demo pilot that'll take them
0: up. When you get hired into Textron, and this is kind of what you're looking at, is there kind of a ladder that you go up in your career? Do you start with the 172? Do you build your way up to the multi, to the Baron, And then do you go up to the latitude or the longitude or whatever eventually? Or is it kind of you stick in the pistons, you stay in the pistons forever and you kind of just stay there? Or how does that look like?
1: It kind of depends on your goals. At at Show, we have a piston dedicated team. So whenever you work on the Piston team, you sell the 172, the 182, the Turbo 206, Bonanza and Baron. That's the pistons that we produce right now for Cessna Beach. And you know, there's a separate sales team that sell the jets and stuff like that. And their dynamics are a little bit different. But it just depends on your goals. Some some people on our team have been selling planes in the piston department for 30 plus years because they absolutely love the piston side. And some people have jet aspirations and want to move up into the jet. So it just depends on what you want to do. Yeah,
0: that's really cool. It's cool that you have options because obviously if you fall in love with a 172 or a 206, you know, you can just kind of stay there and the longer you're there, the probably the easier it is for you to sell that plane to someone because you just absolutely love it.
1: Yeah, definitely. So there's, a lot of passion in the piston side and the GA side. So that's why I think a lot of people like to stay in the piston department because it's not just a business transaction. It's people's lifelong dream to have a new airplane.
0: Yeah. So, what would you say is the number one seller for the piston planes you guys have?
1: The number one seller is definitely the Skyhawk R172. It's the most popular piston trainer in the whole world. We've made over 40,000 of them. So, that is definitely the most popular. Yeah.
0: Probably pretty easy to sell that. Just be like, look at its reputation. Look what it's been used for. And other flight schools trust it. So you should too.
1: <laughs> pretty much. And the cool thing about the Skyhawk and the Cessna line in general is that since there are so many out there, there's so many people that can work on them. Like finding maintenance is really easy. Finding flight instructors for those planes are really easy. So it just makes ownership pretty pretty easy in general um with so many of them out there
0: so that's your favorite or that's the most popular plane what's your favorite plane that you have in the fleet
1: my favorite plane is the baron um that's because i've gotten my multi a little over a year ago so i just got checked out to fly a baron a couple months ago and I've just been eating it up. The Baron is such a cool airplane.
0: The Baron looks pretty sweet in my lie.
1: It is awesome.
0: My favorite multi-piston I've ever flown. I've only flown a Seneca. Well, it's, I've flown a Seneca, an Aztec, an Aero Commander, and a 310R model. And the 310 is my favorite by far. So it's still the 310's my favorite. But I've never been in a Baron. I've never flown a Baron before. So it looks like it'd be pretty cool. The
1: 310's look like they're fun to fly. I've never flown before, but just when they're on the ramp, they've got some major ramp presence.
0: They have huge ramp presence. And everywhere I'd take it, there'd be like some old guy or someone coming up being like, is that an R model? It's like, I could tell that from the road. They'd like literally (laughs) like pull off off the road, see me land, be like, let me look at the R model. It's like, let me get inside. It's like, whoa, hold up, bro. <laughs> Calm down.
1: <laughs> As he's already sitting. Inside. I
0: know, right? Yeah. As he starts the engines and taxis away. It's like, no, no, <laughs> no. Yeah. The R model has huge ramp presence. It's just a good looking plane.
1: Yeah. They sit so proud.
0: Yeah, they do. The wingtip tanks look good too. It's just, it's a good plane, but I guess the Baron's all right too.
1: Yeah, it's all right.
0: What do you love most about the Baron?
1: Um, just, Multi-engine flying in general is just a new allure for me. So that's been fun, but it has so much power and its single-engine performance in particular is amazing. Like, when I was going through my training with it, um, it, it, not with customers or anything, but just internally when we're doing training to get checked out to be a demo pilot on and stuff like that, um, we do actual shutdowns on the engines. And we shut it down and it felt like the plane didn't even know. And <laughs> yeah. You can just put back on the autopilot and the yaw damp and it's just flying along like nothing even happened.
0: That's pretty cool. That was yeah. not the case in the R model I was flying because it was probably like <laughs> 30 years old. The engines have probably never been changed. <laughs> you lose an engine on the other side and it's just like, uh-oh, <laughs> this isn't good.
1: Yeah, no, it's pretty easy to clean up the Baron. Obviously, in training, you see it coming, so that makes it a lot easier, but there's rudder trim and all that stuff to help you out. And once you get it settled out and you're back in level flight, it, it truly feels like nothing happened. You can make left turns, right turns towards the out engine away from it. And it flies like a dream.
0: Who are your typical customers that you have? Would you say there's like a one type of customer that you always had, you know, like maybe like a, a single person that's made their, their money and just wants to buy an airplane or is it more families Is it people with businesses? Is there like a set type of customer that you have?
1: The customers on the piston side are successful business owners and uh, of all caliber, we have small business owners, large business owners, like big corporate CEOs that you've heard of and CEOs of little companies that you've never heard of and never will hear of. Um, So it's successful business guys who also happen to be a pilot or want to be a pilot. So it is very uncommon to get someone who's looking at a one E 1e2 that has no aspirations to be a pilot and is not a pilot, you don't really find people that are hiring pilots for Skylanes. Right, no. <laughs> <So, laughs> They'd be a little weird. Maybe, you know, maybe sometimes once in a blue moon, you'll find that on a barren purchase, but typically on the piston side... And that's what kind of makes it difficult to sell Pistons is you have to find someone who's successful, who has the money for it, who also happens to be a pilot or wants to be a pilot. Those two things both have to be there.
0: That's tough. Yeah, that'd be tough to to cold call people to be like, I'm not a pilot, I don't want to fly. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's really funny. Like, aren't you that Schmindy girl from Instagram? (laughs) Yeah, I'll buy a plane.
1: That'll be the day.
0: Yeah, that would be hilarious. <laughs> when pilot the pilot makes it big and you have to cold call me, I'm gonna be like, "Are you Schmindy from the Instagram?"
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's really funny. It's like, no, I'm going serious. No, I'm just kidding. Um, oh.
1: <laughs> I'm just kidding.
0: Just kidding. What? Um, so, is there a progression that you see? Do people usually like, like you said, the Skyhawk, obviously for training aircraft for flight schools? Do you think that, or do you see? Do they kind of move on from there eventually? Do they move on from a Skyhawk to maybe a 206, 206 to a Baron, Baron to the the King Air, King Air to the jet? Is that kind of like a natural progression or do they usually buy a plane and stick with the plane?
1: Um, There's kind of a mix of both. And that's the cool thing about Textron and working for Textron is that we don't just have pistons and we don't just make jets and we don't just make turboprops. We make all of them. Which is really cool because some of our customers take full advantage of our whole product line. And it's really, it's really kind of neat to see it come full circle sometimes. Like we've had customers that bought a new 172, learned how to be a pilot, got up into the 182, had that for a few years, trade it in for the Bonanza. And then they get their multi and the Baron. And then they're in King Air stepping into the jet line. And to see that come full circle is the coolest thing. And then there's other people that just, the skyline fits their mission and that's all they need that's all they want that's all they prefer and they buy a skyline and then they'll trade it in for a new one every year in some cases or every couple of years um and just keep freshening it up to get the latest avionics and stuff
0: i was gonna ask when you sell a plane is it usually a brand new plane or do you do a lot of used plane sales too
1: i only do new new planes
0: okay new planes smell only (laughs)
1: yeah, every once in a while we get a used plane um, that we took in on some sort of deal. We normally don't take in trades, so that's incredibly rare for that to happen. Um so for the most part, just new planes.
0: What's your favorite part of your job?
1: My favorite part of the job is probably just having such a flexible schedule and kind of it almost feels like you get to run your own business in this job because we get dedicated territories. So, for instance, I cover Georgia, Alabama, and Mississippi. And what happens in those states and how I choose to run my territory is completely up to me. And, you know, if if I want to go do demos from Tuesday to Friday, then I go do demos from Tuesday to Friday. if I want to make a meeting in Birmingham, I go to Birmingham and have that meeting. They don't, they don't tell anyone, any of the sales directors like, Oh, you need to go do this demo or you need to go meet with so-and-so like that's all on you. So it's a lot of responsibility, but, For me, that's what keeps it challenging and keeps it fun that I get to kind of be in charge of it.
0: Yeah, no, that's really cool. And you definitely have the authority to kind of, like you said, make your own schedule and do what you want. Be like, oh, there's tornadoes in Birmingham. I'm going to not go there today. I'm going to go somewhere else.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And that's the cool thing about, you know, flying protection on demos is that. I'm sure that you've, didn't you used to fly cargo?
0: Yeah. All the time. So
1: I'm sure you ran into a lot where there was terrible weather and your operators saying you have to go. Like it's not an option. You're going. Yeah. And with Textron, um, obviously I'm not going to be demoing aircraft and even IFR weather. That's just not a good demo. So it's usually beautiful days out when I get to fly. And then if it's not a demo day, if I'm just using the company aircraft to go to a meeting or something, and it's IFR out, and it's just whatever I'm comfortable with. And Textron understands that. And we're all in unison on what we can and should and shouldn't be doing. And so it's just your personal minimums on when you want to go fly.
0: So it's almost like you have a Textron plane like that, that that's your own plane, and you get to use it for whatever you want for business reasons, right?
1: Kind of it's That's kind of cool. like kind of like a company car <laughs> <laughs> um, but a company plane, but um we like for instance, I'll have a one eighty two for a couple of weeks, and we do a lot of like trading planes around with our territory neighbors, what I call it, so there's another girl that runs the Carolinas in Tennessee, and maybe she'll have a two o six, and I need that for a demo, so we'll meet halfway and swap airplanes or you know, if the Florida guy needs some help down there with the Baron, I'll run down there and help him. So it really goes out of just my States too, but we swap airplanes around. So I don't always have the same airplane or even the same serial number of 182s, like a a couple different kinds will come through the hangar, but pretty much always have an airplane.
0: That's cool. That's got to be fun. It's gotta be pretty cool. Like, Oh, I'm just going to go take the Baron up to, you know, wherever (laughs) I got a business meeting real quick.
1: It's fantastic because it feels like yours, except you don't have to pay for it. Because y- it's on you to find a hanger for it. It's on you to like make that lease. You know, the company pays for it, but you have to get all this stuff set up. And whenever it hits, it's you know hundred hours. It's up it's up to you and your responsibility to make sure that that plane's getting in the shop and getting its oil change and you're hiring someone to detail it and stuff like that. Um, so if, if it's in your hands, you treat it like it's your own airplane.
0: That's cool. So I was I was just about to ask that. I was like, are you out there doing oil changes in the plane or <laughs> do they want other people to do them for you? Or?
1: No, uh, we set that up. We do have um, a, a maintenance department, of course. Uh, we have in-house maintenance when the planes are in Wichita. And usually we try to make it work out that way where they're hitting those intervals when they're in Wichita. That way we can keep it in-house. but. Um, if it's out in the field, then we just set something up and get it done.
0: How would you, how would you go about, it's like someone's listening to this right now. Someone's like, I want to do what she does. What would you recommend? How would you recommend them get involved with Textron?
1: Oh, this is the worst question because I feel so useless. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There's not a set path to get into aircraft sales. I wish there was something more defined, but it's, there's really not. Um, the biggest advice I give people is, you know, if you're looking to get a new aircraft sales, whatever manufacturer catches your eye, you know, apply for any job that'll get your foot in the door with them. Because, you know, most manufacturers, at least the Textron hires internally for their sales jobs 99% of the time, at least that's where they're at right now. But, um, if you can get into anything, like I have a coworker on my piston sales team that came from finance. I have one that came from being a sales associate on the, on the jet side, or I have one that came from parts sales or one that came from the Macaulay props. Like they kind of pull from everywhere, like people that are interested and qualified and, and, and make the cut, but they normally hire internally.
0: Is there a lot of turnover in these jobs or do they usually, once the job's up and filled, it's going to be filled for a while?
1: Yeah, no, there's not a lot of turnover.
0: It's all about timing.
1: Yeah, pretty much. It's it, and so along with getting your foot in the door, you also have to be, you know, qualified for it. You have to network your way in. And you have to be a little bit lucky. So the stars have to kind of align. But I'm not saying it's not possible. But the the biggest recommendation I can give to someone is to get your foot in the door with whatever company and for textron that means you could be a demo pilot a a piston demo pilot is an entry-level job at textron so you could be a demo pilot that'd be a really cool way to learn the products and start flying the products and then transfer into sales if you wanted to and then you get to continue flying or uh, if you want to go work in pre-owned sales then start fairing pilots for a dealer or something that's by you and just get your foot in the door somehow and let it be known what your end goals are
0: yeah that's good advice. I never even thought about the ferrying part. That's really good. Yeah. What um so obviously you love aviation. Like aviation's a part of your life and you even you live in an actual airpark now, right?
1: I do. It's
0: awesome. That's so cool. You wanna talk about how to how like I mean I like aviation. I mean, I love aviation, but I've never even thought about living in an air park. What was, what? Well, Yeah, I don't know. I just <laughs> never have. I mean, I've, I don't never really been kind of, I've never even really been a part of one, been to one, flown in one, been there when anyone is flying. So I don't really even know much about an air park. Talk a little bit. Oh about my it. gosh. You have to come over.
1: Okay. <laughs> um, so at our air park, we have 24 lots, I want to say. So it's a smaller one. Um it's a three thousand foot grass strip. There's um there's just two taxiways parallel to, to the runway, but none nothing is paved. The only thing that's paved in here is our actual roads and in some instances that is a taxiway. <laughs> um that's awesome. yeah, no, but it's awesome living in an air park. Um ours is pretty quiet. For the most part, I'd say about half of the people that live in here still actively fly. The other half are older and are retired Delta pilots or retired maintenance guys or whatever. So everyone here has an aviation theme, at least. Um, but like our rule in the neighborhood and for most air parks, I'm sure, is that if your hangar door is open, that anyone can come in and say hi and hang out and have a beer And so, if you see a hangar door open and you just want to go hang out, you just pop right in, and people are usually sitting in there in their lawn chairs and just talking about whatever or watching airplanes. So, swapping airplane stories. Exactly. So, it's a fun, really fun community. And it's been awesome for me because my husband is a controller for Atlanta Center, and we run practically opposite schedules. Oh,
0: no. That's (laughs) the worst.
1: Yeah, his days off are Tuesday, Wednesdays, and my days. Off, you know, and where I'm not traveling is typically the weekends, um, with you know, exceptions to flyance and stuff. So we miss each other a lot, you know, and we see each other in passing for the most part. So it's really cool to be here and have automatic friends. And if I'm here alone on a Saturday, all I gotta do is go outside and people are out there working on airplanes, flying airplanes, their hangar doors are open. So it's nice to always have friends like in walking distance.
0: Yeah. Are you guys going to fill your hangar with some planes soon?
1: Yes. Um, we are fostering two cubs right now. Okay.
0: I like it. Um, I like fostering yeah. cubs. That'd be fun.
1: Yes. And so one of the Piper cubs in there is a friend of ours. And in turn of hangar rent, I get to fly the plane. So it's a pretty sweet deal. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan Hunt. And. Um, we're in the process of selling our old house. Um, this house that came available that we bought was, was through an estate and it was time sensitive. So we didn't have time to just sell our house and get into this one, the traditional way. We just had to jump right in take it. If that's kind what of terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. To say the least. Yeah. Uh, so we have a big relief coming up, uh, crossing my fingers at the end of this month, if everything goes well and, once that house is sold and off our books, I'm hoping that we'll get our own plane sometime by the summer.
0: Are you able to sell yourself a brand new Cessna Textron product or do you have to go through someone else? Is that like a conflict of interest?
1: <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know that anyone has ever done that. The employee discount isn't that great.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Come on, Textron. Yeah, for real. Yeah. Uh, that's really funny going back to I guess I'll bring up one question going back to your husband being in aviation when you guys met was he in aviation already or did you influence him in being in aviation
1: we met at Embry-Riddle and okay
0: so he definitely was in aviation then
1: well yeah but kind of like me um his family's not in aviation either and so he plays baseball and he was on Embry-Riddle's baseball team And that is the 100% reason he was at Riddle. He had no idea about aviation. Um, His mom, sorry, Kevin, his mom signed him up for his major and just thought that that would be like a cool controller thing. Uh, He didn't even pick it himself, but when he started going to classes, he thought it was pretty cool and fell in love with it too. So when he graduated, um, we applied him to the FAA and After some time, finally got him through, um, went out to Oklahoma city for his training and then he got placed directly into Atlanta center. That's
0: all. He's going to have to come on the podcast now and defend himself from that. So (laughs) tell him, tell him he's got an hour. He needs to set aside an hour and come talk to me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Such a mama's boy. Uh,
0: That's all. I mean, she did a good job, right?
1: yeah no kidding yeah. it worked out for the best
0: my mom probably wouldn't pick something that cool she's probably listened to this so I, i'm gonna get in trouble for saying that total joke <laughs> <laughs> but that's awesome um yeah i'm guessing the schedules are opposite now like you said but in the future as seniority gets his seniority gets better it's just only gonna improve right
1: yeah, but it's it's a long road. So the, the weird thing about controllers is that seniority doesn't get you any better hours or anything. All controllers of every seniority level work the, every shift. So they work morning shifts, night shifts, overnight shifts, the mid shift. Um, so that doesn't get you anything. Seniority gets you better days off. So his days off, like I said, are Tuesday, Wednesday, because we are bottom of the totem pole. <laughs> And it'll be, we would guess probably somewhere around eight years till he has the weekends off. So oh it's my a long gosh. road. Yeah.
0: Holy smokes, <laughs> that's a we long time. We do what we
1: can. Yeah. Um, having opposite schedules is definitely difficult, but we're really good about making time for each other and and keeping each other updated on where we are and what we're doing because there's a lot of times where he'll head off to work and then I get a pop up trip out to Mississippi, I'm like, hey, got to go for three days. I'll be back. It's like, dang. So it can be difficult, but we're figuring it out.
0: That's the only way to do it. You have to take it day by day. And I mean, obviously you both are in aviation. You understand how the aviation world works and it, it's tough. I mean, I mean, tough on relationships and it's just something that you gotta, you, like you said, you just gotta be okay with being like, I gotta go to Mississippi. I gotta do my job and be like, all right, well, I'll see you when you get back. Hopefully, <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. And, and that's the only way it works, at least for us, I'm sure is that we're both in aviation. We both under, understand each other's schedules and why we have to do what we're doing. It's not because I want to get away from him for three days. It's just because I got to go work. So so we understand each other and, and it is really cool both being in aviation, especially a pilot and controller, because I can come home and be like, why the heck did I get vectors around today? Blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, well, this was going on. I'm like, yeah. oh, okay. That makes it's sense. like, no, it's a terrible
0: controller. I don't know why.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah so you get bad. priority <laughs> handling
0: in Atlanta airspace now?
1: <laughs> Honestly, yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you should. That's what, that's the perks of being a wife to a controller.
1: I guess so. Like when we talked to each other on the radios for the first time, that was the coolest full circle moment I think I've ever had. I got so excited, like almost so nervous to key up. I got passed over to center and I heard his voice when I switched frequency over like, Oh my God.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. Yeah. That's very funny. It was, did you guys have like a conversation? You're like, all right, I'll see you at home. What are we making for dinner? <laughs>
1: it's exactly what happened. <laughs> yes.
0: Other pilots are like, get off the radio.
1: <laughs> no, they loved it. <laughs>
0: that's awesome. No, it's really cool. I mean, it's like going back to relationships in aviation. It's definitely something, it might be easier because you both are in aviation. It's definitely something that's tough. You have to find the understanding husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend that can understand what you're going through because, aviation comes first a lot of the times so there's just nothing you can do about it it doesn't matter if you're a pilot if you're a maintenance if you're whatever there's always been a time where aviation your job is going to inconvenience your relationship and you got to find a way to take get over that it's just part of aviation
1: for sure and most aviation jobs like yours i'm sure too like you got to work holidays and nights and weekends and it's very trying but so rewarding
0: yeah absolutely i totally agree and just got to find the right person for it and they're out there yeah all right, I have a couple more questions for you then I'll let you go. Uh, one, I just want to ask you about your Instagram and Textron like obviously, you have a pretty good following on Instagram, so what has there been any interaction with Textron? Are they okay with you to just like post whatever you want, or have they kind of have no idea and they're just kind of letting you do your thing? Uh,
1: I don't want to speak for Textron, but to my understanding, they love it and <laughs> love the exposure. um My boss in particular is very supportive of it, understands, you know, what social media is today and that our buyers, even our buyers today are on Instagram. Like once I started to get a following, it was kind of amazing to see our even jet buyers, latitude longitude buyers that are on Instagram and following the content that I put out there or messaging me about stuff or commenting on stuff. So I started to track it and I showed it to Textron they're like, holy cow like this is awesome. Keep running with it. So
0: you should be like, supportive. Hey, you pay of it. me a little more? if I get <laughs> <Yeah. work. laughs>
1: Listen, I'm trying.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, really no, fun. it's,
1: it's just been like a fun hobby at first. I mean, still is. I don't, don't make any money off of Instagram. It's not really the goal. It's just, fun to show people hopefully that were in my shoes a few years ago that airlines is not the only option and that ga is so fun even as a hobby even if your career isn't in aviation it's something else to to have ga as a hobby is is incredibly rewarding
0: absolutely and for someone listening to this that doesn't know your instagram name go ahead and say it so they can follow you and find you
1: it is Schmindy. It's S-C-H-M-I-I-I-N-D-Y. I feel so silly <laughs> saying this.
0: <laughs> Every time I see your name, i was like, Schmindy. Schmindy. <laughs> yeah. It's really funny. All right, I have a couple rapid fire section, rapid fire questions for you. Or I'm just going to ask a bunch of random aviation questions and you just say the quickest and first and fastest response you can possibly think of.
1: Oh, I feel nervous.
0: You should be nervous. It's going to be tough. Okay. <laughs> all right are you i'll keep it easy are you actually i don't know what question um let's see what's your favorite airport you've ever flown to my airport what's your least favorite airport you've ever flown to
1: any class charlie or bravo
0: (laughs) (laughs) bravos are great bravos know what they're doing and i love it because they're just like when you're getting vectored around and ILSs and doing all that stuff they know exactly what to do when to do it how to do it so take it back no i'm just kidding um who in the industry would you like to meet most they could be dead or still alive however just your favorite kind of someone that's had a lot of influence on your career that you haven't met
1: um I don't know this had the most influence but it would just be cool to meet Amelia Earhart and you know everyone wants to know what happened
0: I would say the living one or the other one the other one (laughs) yeah (laughs) uh what's your I guess I asked you this earlier but I'll ask you again what's your favorite thing about aviation
1: Uh, My favorite thing is probably the places that you go that you never even knew existed.
0: What's your favorite flight you've ever had?
1: Uh, My first one.
0: What is something you wish you knew before you started becoming a pilot?
1: That airlines were not the only option.
0: Very true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You are, you don't, I don't know how often you do this. I don't know after your airline, but just say in your instance, you do a lot of FBOs. There's obviously a lot of times where maybe you're getting fuel and you're hungry. And you need to get some food and you need to bring your own food. What's your go-to kind of crew car FBO food that you want to go get whenever you land?
1: Oh gosh. Um...
0: You're in the South. So there's only one acceptable answer.
1: I know you want me to say Chick-fil-A.
0: <laughs> I was actually, <laughs> I was thinking Chick-fil-A, so there's two. There's Chick-fil-A and like a local barbecue place. Those are really the only two acceptable answers. But I guess you're not in the Carolinas, so that's the best barbecue. So I don't know. You can go.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, Chick-fil-A is a solid go-to because I feel like every Chick-fil-A you go to is pretty consistent.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I would agree.
1: And they're based here in Atlanta
0: uh, at my airport. Uh, really?
1: Yeah, at that's Falcon cool. Field.
0: Yeah. They cut me off one time when I was doing my training in Monroe. Their Falcon, their jet <laughs> cut me off. They're hanging out. The only reason why I knew it was because they're handing out free Chick Fil A gift cards when we landed.
1: <laughs> Did you get one?
0: No, because <laughs> I went to the <laughs> flight school. I know, <laughs> jerks. Uh, what's your favorite type of flying? Would you rather fly IFR or VFR?
1: Um, for work IFR, and for play VFR.
0: Nighttime or daytime?
1: Daytime.
0: Mountains, beach, or city? Would you rather fly over?
1: Um, beach, like island flying.
0: What's your favorite approach you've ever flown?
1: Um, ooh, my favorite approach is probably into Heaven's Landing, which is in a private airport up in North Georgia. I just adore that place. And it's in the mountains and it's just such a very, very cool airport.
0: That place is pretty cool. I've never been, but I've seen your stories and it makes me jealous every time.
1: Yes, it's an adventure every time. I don't There's think so the latitude could fit. Um,. yeah it's a pretty long runway oh really just kind of thin yeah there used to be like a falcon base there
0: oh wow that's cool let's see what do i got what's your favorite airline livery uh hawaiian what is are you more of an airbus or boeing girl
1: oh i don't prefer either i don't like airlines we've been over (laughs) (laughs) this
0: but you can still (laughs) like the planes
1: uh i mean i have no preference i really fair enough Sorry.
0: <laughs> what, what's your dream airline? Or sorry, what's your dream airplane to fly? Oh, I was about to say so many yeah.
1: airline questions. Yeah. I missed it. Um, dream plane to fly is probably something like a twin otter on floats or something like that.
0: That's sweet. Would that be your dream plane to buy too to own?
1: Um. No, I just have. A desire to get my twin seaplane. I know I'll never use it, but it'd just be (laughs) such a cool rating to have. (laughs) I
0: would agree. That'd be a good one to have. Do you have a favorite city to overnight in? Nashville. Okay, that's a good one. All right, those are all the rapid fire questions. You survived, congratulations. My last question for you is... Someone's listening to this podcast, maybe a young girl is listening to this podcast and they they see you, they follow you, they want to do what you do. You have inspired them to be a pilot. What are kind of three tips? Doesn't three be 3, just a couple tips and tricks that you'd tell them to, to do to put into their training or to get started in their training?
1: Um I would say three tips to start to get into training?
0: Uh just do a three tips motivation whatever for just a young person, young lady, young man getting into flying.
1: Um, I would say don't quit whenever you hit a brick wall because I don't know about you but pretty much every pilot I know has hit that brick wall and came to a point where they just wanted to quit and throw it all away but you got to get through that and it's very very temporary feeling but it can get frustrating because flying isn't natural to anyone this is so foreign to all of us so everyone hits that brick wall and to just keep persevering um, another tip I guess for the industry is just always be networking and let people around, you know, what your goals are. Um, Aviation is such a unique community where everyone is willing to help everyone. Everyone gives a lending hand for the most part. Um, So if you tell the people that are around you what you're looking to do, um, you're going to find help. And my last one is to find a mentor. Um, That was most helpful for me to have a mentor in the industry especially because I didn't have a family member in it. But even family members can can have a biased opinion on what you should do sometimes and think things that are better for you that may not be. So it's it's nice to have an unbiased opinion of someone else who cares about you where you can find a good mentor. I think that's really important.
0: And I love the, the first one you gave because I mean, everyone's going to come that face that time in aviation. we like, I just don't want to do this anymore. Like it's too hard. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to do it happened to me. I even took it to the part where I almost didn't even become a finish all my training. I'm a, i am I applied to jobs in Australia to become, to work for air New Zealand or air whatever, Qantas and all those airplanes or all those airlines just because I didn't want to be a pilot anymore. I was a, I didn't think I could do it anymore. So I was trying to find a way out and my way out was Australia. And luckily I didn't get a job because who knows I wouldn't be doing this if that was the case. So there's definitely a time you're going to face that path on the road where it gets too hard and you don't think you can do it but power through it you can do it we've all been there and we've all overcome it so just go for it keep going
1: for sure couldn't agree more
0: yeah well Mindy thank you for coming on the podcast I appreciate it Uh, like I said earlier this will be out on Tuesday so it's going to be exciting and I'm looking forward to everyone hearing your story
1: sweet it was fun thank you
0: AV Nation, that is a wrap of episode 90 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Thank you for listening to today's episode. As I said earlier, please leave a review on iTunes. We have around 430, 435 reviews. I want to try to get to 500 reviews as soon as possible. Maybe do a pretty sweet giveaway once we get up there. But go ahead and leave a review. Check out our website, pilotthepilothq.com. And shout out to Bailey Davis, Patreon of the Week. AV Nation, I hope you have a great day. And as always, happy flying.